0: with you this morning. Uh, I want to share uh, something that actually, uh, uh, to a small group of people in, sh- in this church before, a very small group of uh, t- kind of 20-somethings, uh, I've shared once before. But in thinking and praying, I was given a free hand this morning, not part of a series. In thinking and praying about what I wanted to share with you as a church, uh, I really got a strong sense that God set- was saying to me that he was sending me to particular individuals here this morning. So I, I really sense that I have come, the strange man from Inverness, I have come to be with you specifically for some individuals. This is not so much a word for the church, although we can all benefit from the word of God, of course, but this is a word for some individuals here, and i just make it clear that when I finish speaking, we'll get an opportunity to pray uh, with those individuals that this word particularly fits. So it's a word for all of us, but particularly I feel God saying, uh, Peter, I am sending you for individuals here this morning, and and you you need to hear uh, this word and respond to this word. So if you have your Bibles with you, you'll find it helpful uh, to refer to them in whatever form it is that you are using your Bible these days. I am still on the old-fashioned paper version, Um, but uh, I'm going to speak, just read a few verses from one of the Gospels. So your first clue is it's one of the synoptic Gospels, all right? So that discounts immediately which Gospel? John's Gospel. Okay, so John's Gospel, very different Gospel. Uh, all of the Gospels were written, obviously, by different writers, by, by the followers of Christ. And John's Gospel, written by the disciple whom Jesus loved, is the latest of the, of the four Gospels, written particularly to the Greeks. They're all written to different people groups um, and uh, written probably around about AD 90 or something like that. The, the Synoptic Gospels, which are therefore Matthew, Luke, and, and Mark, um, are written earlier the earliest of the gospels is mark's gospel could be as early as around ad 40 more likely probably ad 60 something like that and the word synoptic comes from two greek words which means to see alongside of to see in tandem with and so the synoptic gospels are written with a similar viewpoint john's gospel is very different written for a very particular purpose to a particular people group so we're reading from one of the synoptic gospels second clue we are reading from the synoptic gospel which was written by a Jew particularly for Jews okay so uh, you can tell that one of the clues in that is that the, the the phrase kingdom of God which occurs again and again and again in the gospels does not occur in this gospel because this was written by a Jew for Jews and they wouldn't say they wouldn't use the word of God it was too holy a word to say so kingdom of God in this gospel becomes the kingdom of heaven which gospel are we reading from Matthew's Gospel. Excellent. Very good. Just keeping your on your toes this morning. So if you turn to Matthew's Gospel, written by Matthias Levi, a tax collector, an unlikely follower of Jesus, as a number of Jesus' followers were. This is a guy who would have been hated and feared and despised by his own people as a tax gatherer, a tax collector, because he was, as a Jew, collecting taxes from Jews but under the rule of Rome, so he was doing it on behalf of the Jews' enemies. And most tax collectors, who were often excluded as witnesses from courts of law, and sometimes excluded from worship in the temple, were often known to be corrupt. And Jesus chooses Matthias Levi as one of his followers, and we're going to read from chapter 11 of Matthew's Gospel. Uh, I'm going to concentrate particularly on about three verses, but we'll just backtrack a little bit to verse 25. I've got one of these red letter versions of the Bible, and everything that I'm reading you now uh, is in the red letters, the very words of Jesus. So for verse 25 of Matthew chapter 11. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All these things have been committed to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And that no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Here are key verses. I want to just read those last three verses again. In fact, would you would you just help me as I read the that scriptures publicly over you. Would you just close your eyes as I read these verses. And let the words themselves, the truth of God born by the spirit. Let them seep into your heart, into your mind, into your soul, into your spirit. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened They're great verses, aren't they? They're wonderful verses. They're very well-known verses. A lot of us will be familiar with those verses. They're read in a variety of contexts. Often they're read at funerals, actually, where people are feeling particularly burdened or grieved and so on. And I remember that from uh, my own grandfather's funeral many, many years ago. I love the way that Jesus frames the words with those those few introductory verses that I read for the particular reason that I find them incredibly inclusive. Jesus starts off with a note of praise, as he often does. He talks about his father, Pater, his father with whom he is familiar, He also refers to his father as Abba. It was okay for Jews to talk about God the Father, Pater in the Greek. But Jesus also uses the word Abba, which was not okay. That was blasphemy for the Jews. But the perfect relationship of Jesus uh, with his dad. And that's where we start those verses. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Why? Because he's hidden these things from the people who think that they've got it sorted. He's hidden the things from the people of power and wealth and influence and kudos. He's hidden these things from the people who think they've got it all sussed and he's revealed them to the p- little children. People who are hungry and thirsty and know where they need, where they depend upon. And that, that includes me, and I suspect, church, this morning that that also includes you. He's revealed these things to the little children. And then he goes on to say, everything has been committed by, by the Father to me. Nobody knows the Son except the Father knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom he has revealed him. And I'm speaking this morning... Probably pretty much without exception, maybe one or two exceptions here. I don't know churchgoers or people who believe in God but don't know Him. But I'm speaking this morning to people who, to whom God has revealed Himself through Jesus. We know the Father because of Jesus. We know the Spirit because of Jesus. These verses are completely Christocentric, and in that context, Jesus then utters these famous words: "Come to Me." And that's where I really want to concentrate this morning so let's have let's let's unpick and unpack those uh, final few verses from verse 28 come to me says Jesus so this starts with, um, well, the word come there, it, it's a verb, obviously. It's a very active verb. It's, it's translated from the Greek word doite. And the thing about the word doite is, at one and the same time, it is both a command, it's in the imperative. Come to me, come to me. I'm commanding you, come to me. It's an imperative, but as well as being an imperative, it's also an invitation. And these are one of those phrases where I I just wish you could hear the tone of voice in which Jesus... I don't think he's barking this out. Come to me! It is an imperative, but it's also an invitation. It is a command, but it's also uttered out of compassion. He's looking around at the people and has compassion upon them. Come to me, says Jesus. An invitation and an imperative. Compassion and a command. And I start with that for a very simple reason, and I'm sure you're not as terribly unholy as I am. But the reason why I want to stress that is this. When I'm feeling up against it, when I'm feeling stressed, when I'm feeling stretched, when I'm feeling spread thin when I'm not sure where to turn, what I tend to do is I rush around like a headless chicken and go almost everywhere else first before I finally come to Jesus. Can anybody respond to that or relate to that? Thank the Lord for that. It's not just me. Okay, See, I tell you, it's inclusive. So very often what I'll do is I'll frantically try to sort it. Before I go to Jesus, I'll try and sort it out, or I'll rush around in my own strength, or I'll just push back against the circumstances, or sometimes actually what I'll do is I'll just cave in under the circumstances. But sometimes I find I'll do anything first before I will come to Jesus. And what I've learned and I'm still learning in my walk with Jesus is this. It's the wise person. It's the wise woman of God. It's the wise man of God who responds to the command and the compassion of Jesus quickly. So the quicker we come to him, the easier it's going to be for our walk with him and our blessing of other people. Come to me. Don't rush around, Peter, like a headless chicken. But rather... Here's a command, and here is compassion. Here is an invitation, but here is an imperative. Come to me first. Don't do all the other stuff. That's why I start there. Come to me, says Jesus. Who's he speaking to? All you who are weary and Burdened. Uh, my attention, I, I've studied this passage quite a bit, and my attention was caught by that word weary. And in fact, um, as soon as I read it, actually, uh, my mind went to another passage, which I'm very familiar with because I've trained from it and spoken on it a number of times. But to another passage, which we read in John's Gospel, actually, where Jesus himself is described as being tired and weary not just tired which is a physical thing but tired and weary and 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 this is a passage that you find in John's gospel in John chapter 4 do you remember the story of the woman at the well And you remember, a few nods, yeah, remember the story of the woman at the well, and it's about noon, do you remember, and it's hot, and the disciples have gone away to get some food. Jesus is on his own, he's thirsty, he's tired, he's weary, and he sits by a well, and there he has this amazing God encounter with the woman of Samaria. And he's described as being weary. So I check this up, and actually it is the same word which is being used here. The word is kapiaeo. Jesus is speaking of what He knows. He is in all things our great example. He is the great forerunner in all things. He has been there, not just physically tired, but weary with that sense of being worn through. What is he going to do? What does he do? So Jesus speaks of what he knows. Come to me, all those of you who are weary and burdened. And I had such a strong sense this morning, not for all, of course, but that for some of us this morning, that's exactly where we find ourselves. We find ourselves feeling kopaieo. We find ourselves feeling not just tired, but worn down, feeling weary. And, 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 and burden, that's not a word that needs a, a, a lot of uh, expanding really. It means exactly what it says it means. It literally to be pressed down under weight or circumstances. To be tired, but more than tired. It includes the sense of being disappointed. You, you, in the, the word disappointed literally means to have missed an appointment. So for those of you this morning that feel like you are disappointed you have missed something maybe you feel you've missed God's best or you've missed something that God has for you and now you're feeling weary and burdened tired and disappointed and what does Jesus say in that context come to me the imperative the command the compassion the invitation and I will give you rest that first verse finishes uh, with a promise I will give you rest. I know that I've said to you before that uh, my own story is that I was I was brought up in a in a Christian family, uh, my mother was the church uh, superintendent uh, for the children's work so I was taught literally at her knee she brought me through through the kids classes and stuff like that my grandfather her dad was the was the church minister and had been involved in planting that church My dad was the church treasurer uh, and the church organist uh, and in the early days the organ was one that you pumped I, I one of my jobs as a young lad was to stay yeah, I really am that old was to stand behind the organ and pump this thing so that my dad could play the hymns on the organ and I was brought up with that kind of uh, with all of that um, as a background so I, I kind of I understand uh, from that early day, uh, the things of God. And then I, I, I encountered God through the Holy Spirit when I was 19 years old, which radically revolutionized my life, and, I, and everything that I believed up here dropped into my heart here, and I started trying to live for Christ from 19 years old uh, all those years ago, 43 years ago now. And in 43 years of following Jesus as closely as I can, as fast as I can, as responsive as I can, I'm 43 years... I've let Jesus down loads and loads of times. I've let him down by accident, and if I'm honest with you, I've let him down deliberately. I have sinned. I'm not proud of that, but I'm not ashamed of it either. Because I've met his grace. And I've been forgiven. And I've let him down loads of times. But never once, in 43 years of following Jesus as hard as I can, as close as I can, never once has he let me down. Never once has he reneged on a promise. And this verse finishes with a promise. Come to me and I will, I will give you rest. And my promise to you this morning in the name of Christ is this. That if I'm describing you that you feel weary, you feel spread thin, worn down, disappointed and tired. Come to Jesus this morning. And his promise is that he will give you rest. He has never let me down and he won't let you down either. Let's move on into that uh, next little verse there, verse 29. What does Jesus then go on to say? This is wonderful. Wonderful stuff on so many levels. Take my yoke upon you. Now, again, I've I've pondered about that. The word yoke there is the Greek word zygos, and it is literally referring, it's a yoke, Y-O-K-E, not a yoke, Y-O-L-K. Okay, nothing to do with eggs. Um, It's a yoke which is referring specifically to beasts of burden. And so immediately, my mind goes, when I read this and checked up on the word zygos, um, he's speaking into an agricultural setting. So one thing that this is, is it's brilliant communication. As you would expect from the supreme communicator, Jesus Christ. And so he's, he's using an analogy, a picture that people will understand readily. Who knows but that what as he's saying these things, his eye is looking to the field on one side of him and marching up and down in that field are a couple of oxen, beasts of burden with a yoke on them. So it's a fantastic way of communicating to the people that he's speaking to. Jesus embodies the gospel. He doesn't just have a message. He is the message. And he fleshes it out and he illustrates it so well. There's loads of lessons there for us. But that's not my subject for this morning. Take my zygos upon you. And then as I pressed a bit deeper into the verse, I began to realize that this is not just good communication. Jesus is speaking to a bunch of Jews. Jesus himself is a Jew. Jesus was never a Christian, he was always a Jew. And he's speaking to Jews as a Jew. And the Jews, above all people, understood about yokes. You see, the Jewish tradition, stretching right back through their, their Bible, the Torah, the written tradition and the prophets, they, they understood about yokes. They had a series of yokes that they had to put upon themselves. So they had, the Jews had a yoke of repentance. They would have to repent of their sins. They had a yoke of the law. That was probably the biggest yoke that they had. All of the laws of the Old Testament. But more than that, for the Jews of Jesus' day... The Pharisees, the hated hypocritical preachers that Jesus spoke against, had added a whole stack of extra laws, more weight on the yoke, if you like. More than 600 extra laws the Pharisees had had added, more than 400 of which were negative, harsh, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. This was a weighty thing. And the Jews understood about the yoke of repentance, and they understood about the yoke of the law. There was another yoke that they were taught about from the Torah, the yoke of the kingdom of God, what it was to be a citizen in the kingdom of God, the yoke of the kingdom. They had a yoke of faith that they had to hold on to, that their faith might be accounted to them as righteousness. So they had a yoke of command. All of these yokes combined upon the Jew to produce weight, and a sense of obligation, and a sense of duty. Now... In that context, when we read this word, Zygos, and we realize it's an agricultural community, so it's good communication, but he's speaking to Jews, and he's talking about yokes, and they're going, oh, yoke, yoke, okay. What does he say? Take my yoke upon you. Can I suggest to you contextually that what Jesus is saying there is, my yoke is the only one you need. You don't need all that other stuff. There's a new way. There's a better way. Take my yoke upon you. All that you need is my yoke. Let that rest on your shoulders. Not all the other stuff of trying to do it and trying to be better and trying to make it happen and trying to earn it, trying to be good enough, trying to be committed enough. Take, stop for a moment. Shed those yokes and take my yoke upon you and learn from me says Jesus one of the things I often ask people that I'm mentoring is um, what's the last thing that Jesus said to you what's the last question that Jesus asked you what's the last thing that you learned from Jesus every day is a school day I get so frustrated with Christians who the last thing they learned was a book that they read three years ago or or when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit or when they were baptized in water or when they were first converted every day is a school day and Jesus says learn learn from me learn Learn, be disciple, be shaped from me, says Jesus. Learn from me. Why? Because he's gentle and humble. Jesus is described in scripture as the meekest of men. He he, he actually compares himself to Moses who is himself meek. He is gentle and he's humble. Jesus came, he makes this really clear, Jesus came not to be served but to serve my question for some of us this morning is this will you let him serve you will you let him carry your load or do you feel out of a sense of striving or a sense of inadequacy that actually you can't do that? My mind flicks to the story in John 13 of Jesus washing the disciples feet and as he works his way down the line, impetuous, insecure, Peter always overwrought and overstated says, you're not washing my feet. I'm not worthy. I, I don't deserve it. It's not something that a servant would do in a household. Never mind you, Jesus. You're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, you don't understand. You Pick stuff up. If you don't let me wash you, you have no power. You need to be clean. And Peter's response, oh, wash me all over. All that usual, over-the-top, typical stuff. How many of us are slow to come to Jesus when he invites us and commands us? Because we feel we're not worthy. Or we feel we've got to sort it first. We've got to get clean before we get clean. It's like having a bath before you have a shower. It's ridiculous. But rather we come to Jesus and we allow him. To cleanse us we allow him to serve us. can we understand this morning that Jesus wants to take your load? Will you let him take my yoke upon you and learn from me? for I am gentle and humble in heart and here second verse of, of the three core verses ends in a promise, and you will find rest for your souls. Interesting use of the word there. The word soul is the word psyche there in in, in the Greek, and that's used in various contexts. It's not always completely defined, but basically what Jesus is saying is that part of you which is not your body, which will not be destroyed by death, that part of you wherein lies your emotions, your desires, your hopes, but also your fears and your crushedness, your anxiety and your stress, your soul. Come to me and you will find rest for your soul. Can I use a phrase here which I think we might be able to relate to? I think some of us live with deep soul ache. We live with a deep soul soul ache, a sense of a sense of brokenness or a sense of fear or anxiety. And, and, and I want to urge us this morning that rather what we ha- what we need to learn to do is to learn to live from our spirits rather than from our soul. What is our spirit? Our, the pneuma of God, the, the spark of God, the light and the life of Christ when you were first saved, which is inextinguishable within you. And we need to center on that and to learn... We're, where is Christ in me, the hope of glory? Where is he centered in me? How do I get in contact with him? How do I not live with soul ache, but learn to live from my spirit? Jesus says, come to me and you'll find rest for your souls. That takes us to the final verse that I wanted to share with you this morning. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Same word again there for yoke, zygos. And I was I was kind of, the next thing I was attracted by, wanted to unpick and unpack, was that word uh, easy. Burden is light is, is straightforward, is what it says. But I didn't really quite understand my yoke is easy. What is that about? The word that's used there is the word krestos, easy. My yoke is easy. And it's, Perfectly fine, of course, it is to translate that as easy. But literally, and in keeping with the picture of a yoke, the word means well-fitted. My yoke is well-fitted. So we're not really an agricultural community, are we? Where I live, we still are, actually, although they tend not to plough the fields with oxen anymore. Um, But if you were to look at a yoke, the thing about a yoke is they're made of wood and you don't buy them off the shelf. So they are made for the animals that use them. And they are then fitted, literally, they are shaved and adjusted and altered. They are fitted to the contour of the body of the beast that pulls the yoke. And Jesus is saying, my yoke is krestos. It's well fitted. It fits for you. Don't compare yourself with anybody else. It fits for you. It's being crafted. I know you intimately. Every, Every little bit of bump and part of your being, says Jesus, I know you and my yoke is well fitted to you. The way it would work, I'm sure you know this, is in that day, in that age, maybe even in Jesus' visions, he uses these words, is two beasts of burden, usually oxen, would be yoked together with well fitted yokes. One of those beasts would be an older beast, more mature, wiser, used to the work, knowing the turf and the terrain, uh, and the other beast would be a younger beast which would be uh, full of energy and full of potential uh, and full of zeal but would need some help and the idea of the yoke is that it was the older beast which is the analogy of Jesus in this case that's the beast that would take the strain that's the beast that would set the pace some of us rushing around trying to do things for God in our own strength that he never asked us to do A well-fitted yoke links us to Christ who takes the strain, who sets the pace so that we can finish the race and not just start it. And not just finish the race, but finish the race well. Takes the strain, sets the pace, decides the direction that we go in and above all else, the yoke, the zygos. Holds the two beasts close together. It's about proximity. It's about intimacy. It's about Jesus leading with his purpose, with his plans, with his experience, with his power. And his yoke being well fitted. So church. I think all of us can benefit from the truth of God's word. But I felt that God sent me this morning... This strange chap from Inverness, for some of you specifically, and that actually you have a sense of burden. You have a sense of being weary, pressed down, copia, spread thin. As I was praying about what that might look like for some of you, I I felt God talk to me about... There were a couple of phrases. So, people here um, who were tired of fighting, just weary, felt tired of fighting. People here struggling under fear, fear for the future, fear for your family, fear for finances, fear that are revolving around God's provision. Fear for your home, literally, literally bricks and mortar of your home. People here uh, feeling uh, wrung out, spread thin like butter over too much toast. Living with a sense of stress. Now we can all get stressed. But God has sent me to those this morning who are living under stress. Literally I felt God used the word, the phrase panic attack. People where that's taken into a dark place with panic attack. And I want to use one other word that I've already alluded to. People here living with a sense of, of um, I've missed it. So I've missed an appointment with, in God's purposes. I am living with disappointment. And for those people this morning, I can only say that I believe God has sent me to you. That you might not come to me, but you might come to Jesus. And you might encounter Christ this morning in a fresh way, in a relief. I, I prayed with a lass uh, just recently who needed a similar message. Didn't get it, but a similar message. I prayed with her. She'd had terrible, terrible uh, tooth problem, like really bad tooth problems. Um, and it just worn her down. And uh, they prayed for her for healing in the church meeting that I was in this was about two weeks ago. And that was great, and God did a real work on the pain in her mouth and so on, which had been keeping her awake at night, so she was tired as well. But at the end of the meeting, I, I asked if she wouldn't mind if she'd come forward, and I could pray for her. She said, I know you're tired, and I know that you've been in pain, so I know you need healing, and I know you need strength, but my sense is that you're also, and it's different, you're weary. And God needs to meet you in that. And so we prayed with her, and uh, I can't tell you how... How Christ met with her by his spirit. Uh, Her whole face changed. Uh, She cried a lot. Uh, But there were tears. Instead of pain, there were tears of cleansing. And her whole face lit up. It was like she glowed. It was just wonderful. Come to me. Not to Pete. Come to me, says Jesus. And I will give you rest. So church, why don't we stand? If you're able, why don't we stand? Just for the next few minutes, it will be good to respond to God. And if this word is not specifically for you, it will be good that you give away to people that it is for, that which you have of God. So we're going to pray for one another. Jesus, I pray right now that you'll move across this wonderful group of people by your Holy Spirit. But I particularly pray that you would touch those this morning who are feeling battered. They're feeling bruised. They're feeling beaten up. They have that sense of being worn out and weary, of carrying stuff they shouldn't carry and feeling unable to carry it for very much longer. They're tired of fighting. Those with stress and even with panic attacks, those with that sense of that terrible sense of disappointment which leaves you bewildered and wondering where to go next because you feel you missed the direction. I pray for those in particular right now that by your spirit you would touch them and you would give them through the conviction of your Holy Spirit the courage to respond to the command and the compassion of Christ who says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If God's speaking to you, and I've just described you, why don't you come forward now so that we can pray for you?